Hello, Maverick fans. Welcome to another edition of the Mav Puck Cast. As always, I am Jason. And I am John. And we are glad to be back for our second episode of the third season. Who would have ever thought we would make it this far? <laughs> I'm sure there's some out there who thought one episode and done. Well, that's that's what happens a lot of times when you do these kinds of things. You know, you get really excited about it at the beginning and you're all gun ho and then you, you know, you do it for a few episodes and then people, you know, they start to lose interest and it all starts to just kind of fade over time. But but we've had really good stick to itiveness with this. So I'm I'm proud of us. And this is certainly a weird year to try to do this, but uh, but they're they're actually yeah. mere hours after our podcast last week, all this <laughs> news started to break, and I'm like, all we needed to do was do a podcast to prime the pump and uh, and get the uh, information flowing, and that's certainly what happened this last week. So we've got some interesting things to talk about. It's kind of funny because we started last week, and I had a number of people who messaged me and said they were glad the podcast was back and you know of course they're wanting to talk about everything that we didn't talk about on the podcast and then today i'm getting all these messages going did you guys give up so much (laughs) no we didn't give up it just seems like we miss a bunch of stuff so we thought we'd wait an extra day and record on a monday instead of a sunday and see if we could catch any news and alas there was really nothing exciting but inevitably tomorrow morning we'll wake up and brad brad schlossman of the grand forks herald will have some breaking scoop that we would have loved to have discussed but like we were saying this just seems to be the way it goes so yeah i sunday got kind of got away from me i thought about texting you Uh, about it but uh, this was actually good because i was able to look some stuff up and read some stuff today so i i feel a little bit more prepared than i normally am when we uh go into an episode normally we we kind of shoot from the hip and wing it because that's our style so i fully expect that we'll talk about the upcoming season and the new format and all that stuff, but I fully expect that we'll have a schedule tomorrow morning at like 8 a.m. <laughs> we'll have all of the salient details down to the minute. What's going to happen? We'll be like, damn it. <laughs> so let's start with the, I guess, less exciting somewhat news of the NCAA announcing their regional and Frozen Four locations. For 2022 through 2026, which, as we talked about in the precast of our podcast, I am excited for 2022 because it has the road that I would prefer with Denver hosting at the uh, the Bud in Loveland. So we can uh, we can head over to Loveland, Colorado, and then when we're done with that, we can ship up to Boston and. Well, you know, Omaha I mean, seems to like Boston. Yeah, every every significant thing we have done as far as NCAA tournament, it always seems to find the Mavericks in Massachusetts. And uh, we were in Boston for the Frozen Four back in 2015. And in 2006, we were in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is just a hop, skip and a jump from Boston for our first uh, NCAA regional appearance. So... I'd imagine at that point we'll get to the Frozen Four in Boston again, and this time we'll win the Frozen Four in Boston. Or since we seem to do this like in little baby steps, maybe we'll just get to the championship game this time. And then when it's in Boston again, you know, 10 years from now, then, then we'll win the, then we'll win the Frozen Four. But, but that would, that would be great. It's kind of cool to think about going to a regional out west because normally you're headed east um for regionals even if it's a midwest regional or a west regional it was kind of cool to think about going to the rocky mountains for that and that's a that's a an easy easy trip for those of us in nebraska so hopefully uh gabinet will have the team going but that that was that was a kind of a neat opportunity for denver certainly because they've had to travel to some far points on the map for NCAA regionals in recent years. When the news broke uh, last week, a friend and I were texting and I had said, you know, we're going to, we're going to end up going to the, we'll go to the bud and we'll lose in the, in the first round of the frozen four again, because this team seems like if I remember correctly and he didn't correct me. So I'm going to assume that I did because obviously, you know, kind of knew this is that 
Didn't we lose in the first round of the the tournament two years in not in a row, but two years that we the first two years that UNO went. You're right, and Worcester and we then lost. We skipped, the, yeah. Then we skipped all the way to making it to the Frozen Four and lost in the first round of the Frozen yep. Four. So I think we need to lose in the first round of the Frozen Four again, and then we win the championship. That's how it's got to go, right? Like we just got to keep making, do this twice and then leap two. I got you. So yeah, you're right. We went to Worcester and we lost to uh, Boston U- University. I think that was nine was to two. Slaughtered by Boston. <laughs> and then we we lost in a, a game that fans don't like to talk about in 2011 in St. Louis at the regional down there to Michigan, um, which a lot of fans argue that that game is still going on or they botched <laughs> the replay. I, I yeah, it was a his foot was uh, in the crease. Wait, wait, wrong yeah. controversy. <laughs> So, yeah, you could be right. Maybe we'll get to the Frozen Four again in Boston, and we'll lose in the first game again, but then after that. That would be great. I'd, I'd go for well, that. 2023, the Frozen Four is in Tampa. I that mean, sounds wonderful. There, we wouldn't mind taking that trip. Oh, that'd be a great trip. Go to Disney World. Get before some or after. In. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, let's 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 have our let's have our second, you know, losing in the first game of the Frozen Four happen in Tampa because I could, I could go for that if my team goes out early. It'd still be <laughs> nice, warm place to, uh, to enjoy some other activities besides hockey. So that wouldn't be bad. I I, I heard from UNO fans that have gone down there in the past that that Tampa Frozen Four is wonderful. I know some of the hockey purists don't like the location, but. I think it sounds great, and the the pictures that I saw of the stuff that they did, it looks like fun. And and you and I are all about warm weather, so. And the Stanley Cup looks pretty good down there in Tampa. Yeah, it does. So twenty twenty four was the the big exciting news. Somehow Omaha <laughs> is hosting, but we're hosting in South Dakota, so I'm not so sure who's like geographically challenged with this concept but <laughs> it is it is amazing that we have a 20,000 seat arena in the CHI Health Center that has hosted NCAA men's basketball games, NCAA volleyball final fours, you know, US Olympic swim trials, US Olympic equestrian trials. We host the College World Series yet the people in charge of our arena and convention center downtown, our beautiful arena and convention center seem to have no desire to bid on NCAA hockey regionals. So I guess we've got to do it three, you know, two and a half, three hours up the road in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at a facility that we're actually very familiar with because our other sports teams are in the summit league and the summit league plays its basketball championships at the Denny Sanford premier center and Bridget and I went there for the first time in 2017 when we saw the UNO basketball play in the championship game against South Dakota State. And it was a great event there. It, you know, honestly, when you approach the building, their convention center side kind of reminds you a little bit of uh, the, the CHI Health Center downtown here in Omaha. And the uh, UNO Alumni Association had a, a pregame reception before the game. It was It was a great game. It was a great atmosphere. So... I'm sure it will be a, a, a potentially a great opportunity. They uh, they had NCAA regionals back in 2018, and I believe that's the regional that St. Cloud State went out early in the first game. Was that the was that the was that the season that they were a number one seed? I can't remember. It escapes mm. me. It escapes me. But um, I remember hockey took place up there because we had considered going up. And St. Cloud State was appearing in that regional. I think Air Force might have been in that regional that year, too. Um, Kind of an odd location, but uh, UNO is the host school. If they make the NCAA tournament, they will get to appear in that regional. So that's that's very exciting. And and that's that's right in the range when people have predicted UNO is going to be headed in the right direction and they're going to be really competitive. I know coach Gabinette has talked about that. And a lot of people the last couple seasons uh, have talked about that. So that would be very exciting. 
we could definitely go do that. That's a, that's a, you can go up on a last minute and watch the, watch the games there at that, uh, from Omaha. Cause it's so close. That wouldn't be a bad year to make a run when you figure we get a, you know, we get a host up there and then the frozen four that year is in St. Paul. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Now, us and our, our warm weather, I guess, 2026 is our next big one because then we get a host again yes. in Sioux Falls. Yes. And the Frozen Four is at T-Mobile in Vegas. Ooh, that would be I fun, too. I don't know if you're too. a gambling man, but we can hit the craps tables. I am definitely not, and I have no desire to go to Vegas, but again, it's warm. And I'm sure that you can find a lot of uh, a lot of good, cheap lodging and by when I say cheap, I'm not saying some some seedy dive or something. But I there's a, there's a there's a lot of hotel rooms there, and uh, you can get good deals on rooms. That might be that might be that might be a fun one. I know, I know that uh, fans are excited about the possibility of going to that one. So I always like places where I can find direct flights, and that's yep. Omaha, Las Vegas is one we can get some direct flights to. Well, that's that's a big thing too because it's expensive. It was expensive to fly out to Massachusetts the two times that we went there for hockey, um, certainly. And uh, because obviously you're not, you can't, you can't plan that out ahead of time. It's it's kind of a last minute thing when your team makes the regional or makes the Frozen Four. Obviously, we went out with you guys to the inbound marketing conference uh, last year, so we were able to get flights far far in advance. Right. Uh, for that deal. So I, you know, with well, the way things, the way things, to... <laughs> the way things are going right now, air airline airfare might be, you know, inexpensive for the next few years. We just don't know, you know, <laughs> shout out to Southwest, but that's one of the reasons why I like flying Southwest is you can buy your ticket. And if your team doesn't make it, you can have some go, go somewhere nice for a family vacation that summer instead. That's definitely a helpful hint. Yep. You always can. Yeah. And, and Omaha, you can get a direct flight to Vegas. So, uh, so that'd be a great opportunity, two great opportunities as far as the regional and the frozen four. And I'm glad UNO, uh, had stepped up because I think maybe they had had opportunities to be a host school before and they hadn't done it. Um, so this is a great opportunity for them. Um, yeah, it's yeah a, I know it's been talked about before, but it just never seemed to kind of come, come together. To fruition, so. Yeah. So big, big news, as we mentioned right at the beginning of the podcast, was that we now have an idea of the format for the 2020-2021 season. And basic overview of this is really kind of taking a play taking a page out of the playbook from uh the nhl and the nchc teams are all going to descend on omaha to play 40 games at baxter arena over the course of three weeks uh, the teams will be cordoned off staff and players will be cordoned off and uh, we do not know about fan attendance we do not know about what the atmosphere is going to be like Actually, in the arena, I think you probably have your opinions. My opinion is that it's <laughs> probably going to be no fans. Let me let but me let's we'll see. Well, let's hey, let's let's talk about that for a moment because in the frequently asked questions that the NCHC posted, here is what they said, and I quote: "Okay, I Read took notes to here. I took notes here. Preach, John. Now I'm with you." I don't think, and I'll, I'll give you my reason after I read this, why I don't think there will be fans in attendance. But So, will fans be allowed in the pod or at games on campus sites this season? And it says, at this time, no decisions regarding fans for any part of the season have been made. The collective membership and Douglas County Health Department, which Douglas County is the county that Omaha is in, will have the authority over whether fans will be allowed in the pod. Institutions and the local county health authorities will determine whether fans will be allowed in member school venues during the second portion of the season. If allowed, each institution will work with those authorities to determine an appropriate capacity for games. Okay, so a lot of fans saw that. And they saw this quote that appeared last week, right before this announcement was made that UNO would be hosting this 40 game pod the first three weeks of 
December that was in Tom Chattel's column, First Downs and Second Guesses in the Omaha World Herald. And Mike Kemp said, he said, Kemp says the NCHC has not decided if it will have league-wide rule on fans or let schools decide based on local cases. Quote, it's an individual decision. We'll do everything we can to have fans, Kemp said. We feel comfortable that our protocols are in place, that we can safely do this. Okay. So now we've gotten all of the PR commentary on whether there will be fans or not, which is incredibly vague and incredibly noncommittal. I don't know about you, Jason, but I mean, if you look at this pod structure, obviously UNO gets to host. There are other schools, most notably North Dakota, that feel like they should have hosted the 40 games in the pod. And just just to, to let everybody know, each of the eight NCHC teams will get 10 games out of this. So basically for each NCHC team, this will be their first 10 games of the season. And when you have something like this, obviously for UNO, it's great because they essentially get their first 10 games at home since these will be played at Baxter Arena. We don't know if all the games will be played on the main ice or if any of the games will be played on the practice sheet, Holland ice. I would assume that they'll all be played on the main ice in the arena, but we don't know that yet. But one of the things that they're emphasizing is trying to minimize travel for teams and keep teams safe as far as COVID-19 goes. And I would assume in that scenario that you wouldn't want to have fans in the arena if safety is one of your main objectives of doing this. Furthermore, if UNO is getting what are essentially 10 home games, I, I seriously doubt the other NCHC teams would want to let <laughs> any percentage of UNO fans come to the game to give UNO any more of advantage. Because obviously, when this is sort of an all-conference format, I just I, I don't see them wanting to open up a can of worms and have, you know, every team be allowed to have fans come into town for this. I would, I think that that would defeat the purpose of having the players come and stay from December 1st to December 20th. You know what I'm saying? I also think it's important to look at the facilities that we have here. You know, the med center is in charge of the COVID-19 precautions that they're taking for this, this bubble that we're going to have the pod that we're going to have. And, you know, they're an expert institution. We had Ebola cases come here and they handled it. They have leading experts in infectious diseases and community care. And so I I have to imagine that that's a large reason why the pod is being brought to Omaha. Yeah, I think people don't understand with this hospital, they 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 are this is an expert institution in infectious diseases. So I'm sure that that was one of the big selling points. Uh, the hospital itself has also done testing here in the community. Um, that's a great opportunity. And then I, I also think, you know, obviously one of the kind of the things right now that, that I'm seeing online is people are saying, well, I know you guys say Nebraska is, is the best place to have this, but there are cases are kind of spiking right now in the Omaha area and in the state. And this is true. Jason and I were talking about this the other day. This is definitely true, but I think that there are probably other factors that are influencing us getting this too. You know, the Omaha Sports Commission, which is kind of the sports mafia here in Omaha, they are a very powerful entity. And a number of those events I mentioned just moments ago in the podcast when I was talking uh, or I was asking why didn't we bid on any of these NCAA regionals. You know, we live in a city that has hosted the NCAA College World Series for decades. And a lot of that is due to the efforts of the Omaha Sports Commission. I don't think people realize that we built a $131 million baseball stadium uh, several years ago that its sole purpose basically was to host the College World Series. I know Creighton Baseball plays there and they host some other events, but our AAA affiliate for the Omaha Royals, they play in a, a facility down in Sarpy County now. They don't play in the same facility as the College World Series anymore. So, you know, we're willing to 
put our money where its mouth is as far as sports go. And so it's very possible since we didn't get to host some of the events that we normally get to this year, like the College World Series, and we were going to host the U.S. Olympic Swim Trials, it's very possible that there are resources available to potentially help offset the cost for some of these schools when they come here and they stay in hotels and for meals and, and other sorts of amenities for the players that we were able to provide because of our infrastructure of doing these kind of big sporting events where we're having to deal with a lot of athletes, a lot of teams, a lot of staff members that are associated with those folks. And I, that, that it's possible there is. And in fact, this was, this was an interesting thing I saw um, in the Omaha World Herald today. And it was Pete Ricketts announced that there was $160 million in CARES money that they were going to be distributing here very soon. And one of the things that the money was earmarked for they have to they have to get rid of the money before the end of the year. And I can't remember I get rid of sounds terrible, but they have to issue this this money, this grant money uh, some point before the end of the year, uh, if I recall correctly from what I read in the article. And sports arenas are one of the things that can get grant money. So I think they can get a grant of up to fifty thousand dollars. And that's something that might help defray some of the costs. So it's very possible when UNO put their proposal together, the financial side was just as appealing as the healthcare side, you know, and I, I obviously the med center is a great, a great facility here in Omaha, um, as far as the, the aspects of COVID and the player health um, aspects go, but it's possible Omaha was able to put together the whole package. So in case anybody who's listening to this podcast from around the NCHC or around college hockey is wondering why Omaha, you know, obviously we're centrally located. Uh, we have the Med Center, which uh, is an expert, uh, expert facility on infectious diseases. We've treated Ebola patients here. And it's possible the financial aspects were very good too. Again, I we, we haven't heard all those details. It'll be interesting to see some intrepid reporter uh, track some of those things down. And I think another uh, another aspect to add to your list there, because I think that's all good, but there's one thing I think that gets overlooked a lot of times, and that's the city of Omaha as a whole and their track record with these kinds of events. And you look at like the swim trials, right? The swim trials came here. Right. It was a it was a big deal that we got a shot at it, and you kind of right. just expected it to be a one and done kind of thing. But it was so huge, it was so successful in Omaha that so became, well attended. Yeah, and and just the community support, and then everyone talked about the atmosphere, and like I remember interviews with uh, Michael Phelps and stuff talking about how. Uh, <laughs> It's like a second home to him. It's like it just everyone's so nice and and supportive, and you know it's just such a great atmosphere for the athletes uh, that he's he was like I totally support us. You know, just coming back to Omaha every time, uh, every four years when we have the the swim trials. You know, and then suddenly we got him again. You know, four years later, and we've got him again coming up. So it's they have that track record. I went to I don't. You you guys went to some too, I think too, when they had the Olympic curling trials here, and it's like it's curling, it's this obscure sport, you know. And I was talking to some of the athletes at the meet and greets, and they're like, "Oh yeah, usually we play in front of like my parents and his parents and her husband, <laughs> and you know that's that's basically the the fans air quote in the stands, and it's like here, you know, they're at Baxter. It's not a huge arena or something, but you know they're putting a thousand or so people in there and i mean it was just it was a great atmosphere and and it was for something small and you you just really didn't expect much out of and i just fully expect that the the entire city is going to embrace this concept of the pod and even if we can't attend games i have to believe that the structures there that the community will get around the teams and, you know, be welcoming and it'll be a, it'll be as good of an experience as it can be for, for the teams and the athletes, because let's be serious. Like this is COVID. It's crazy. It's not what any of us want. It's not what any of us expect uh, from a hockey season, but you're trying to make the best of it and still make it go of, you know, getting a conference champion this year, which we didn't get last year. 
Yeah, it's I, I gotta I gotta be honest with you. I live in a, mi- a mile and a half from Baxter Arena, as you know. I'm very very close. And if you had told me, if you told me, you know, 12 months ago, ah, oh, you know, next uh, next December there's gonna be a pod of all the NCHC teams that's hosted at Baxter Arena. It's gonna be 40 games over three weeks. Each team's gonna get 10 games, and it's all gonna be you know, a four minute drive from your front door. Wouldn't that be exciting? I'd be like, yeah, that'd be great. I don't care what the cost is. I'm going to go and watch those games every day. And obviously we're in a situation where we can't, we can't do that. And it's, I think that's, that's the, that's the part. I mean, fans are interested and they're excited that the season's starting, but it's, it's awfully difficult to think that you won't get to see those games. And I know that that's kind of why I think the enthusiasm, if, if it is dampened a little bit, which I I haven't really seen anything one way or the other, I think that that's probably why it's, uh, you know what I'm saying? I think that that's probably why it's a little bit because it's like everybody's excited about the season, but they're also like, you know, it's going to be tough this first half of the season, not getting your scene, uh, to see your team play on, uh, on home ice. That's why, I mean, for me, from a psychological perspective, it almost would have been easier if this had been hosted somewhere else. Cause it's been like, well, I, you know, I'm nowhere near it. I couldn't go I couldn't anyway. Go you know what, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But, uh, but I think if, look, I, here's what I would say. I think if safety is their concern, which they say that it is their concern, then I think you have to be really stringent on the no fan in attendance rule. And I, and I'm, I'm very serious about this. I think no means no, because I, you know how these things can go sometimes where it's like, it's like, um, it's like, no, we're not allowing any fans. And then you tune into these games and you see people sitting in the stands that, you know, they're not staff members and they're not family members. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? So, um, I think they have to really keep it to the teams and to essential staff, um, and just, and just focus on that. If, if safety is the goal and, and it is interesting because obviously these first 10 games for all the NCHC teams will happen before Christmas. And then presumably the players will be going home for Christmas, which, you know, despite all the safety procedures, they could end up getting COVID from friends and relatives. That seems to be kind of the way that this thing is spread or with family gatherings. But then they come back in January for the second half of the season, which the final 16 games are going to be normal, hosted at, you know, home sites as is the case each season anyway. So I don't think anything's going to be safer in January, but I think they want to get the season off to a good start. And I think they're worried that if something happens in the second half and the season is cut short, that at least they got, you know, a good chunk of the season in early on and the players got a chance to play and compete. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Cause these things are unpredictable and you just don't know what'll happen societally and politically and everything else as the next few months wear on, you know? Yeah. And I saw the, I saw the news from the NCHC that all of the games, both the ones in the pod and the ones that come after the first of the year, when we're back at home sites, uh, will be broadcast on NCHC uh, TV. So those who have subscriptions that are, you know, auto renewing, um, or at least you've have auto renewed auto renewals are all on pause right now. I assume they'll just send out something and re, you know, let you know that they're going to renew or not, but, um, it will be nice at least to be able to, to have a place to watch them all. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about broadcast quality and things like that, and hopefully there's something more. I think what really worries me about the whole thing is, okay, what does this matter for, for those of us, you and I, and, and the listeners and things that are out there that are season ticket holders, like, what does that mean for season ticket holders? I mean, if you assume that there's no fans, even if you assume that there are fans after the first year, but there are no fans at the pod games, you know, we're losing out on you more than half of our season. Yeah. So, so, so let's, if you're, if the final 16 games that start in January, you would assume that eight of those would be at home. They said it the would, other be eight 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 would be on the road. Team, yeah. So four series at home. So, I mean, eight games, yeah, you're right. We pay we play typically 18 games at home each season. Plus we have always paid our, you know, for the three 
NCHC playoff games that we haven't gotten in years. Right. So you're right. We we just we wouldn't get very much. So does part of that season obviously we get you know be used if 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 we did get to go then part of that would be used as a credit toward the following season. Which, I don't know. It'll which be interesting is fun. to see. I just wish they'd like let us know ahead of time, saying, "Look, okay. everything you've yeah, already and... paid for your season tickets. Everything you've paid for. If we don't get it, you know, if they don't get them in, then you know it's going to be a credit towards next season. That's fine because at this point in time, like you said, you were expecting ten games that we're not getting, right? Right. In the regular season, plus three games of playoffs, which. I assume we won't get just from the way they're talking about how everything sets up. So if we assume, you know, based on priors and that, you know, that's 13 games out of next year's 18 game season that we get a credit for. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that I think, and I, and I thought I'd bring this up to see what you thought about it. The big 10 hockey conference has said that they're going to start uh, around or after November 13th. Mm-hmm. And uh, Arizona State has entered into a scheduling agreement with them where they will play uh, Big Ten teams as part of that as well. What I will be interested to see is if they start their season normally with the the typical, um, you know, typical games played on the, the member school campus sites and teams are traveling around and doing all that. If fans get to go, which, I, again, we don't know, but if fans do get to go to those Big Ten games, it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is of the NCHC fan base, knowing that those fans get to go watch their team play, even if it's a, a limited capacity type of thing where only a percentage of fans get to go. It'll be interesting to see what the reaction is, because fans could look at that and they could say, well, wait a minute, those Big Ten hockey fans, which geographically those Big Ten teams are not you know, terribly far regionally from where, you know, a number of the NCHC teams are located. Why do they get to go to the games, but we don't get to go to the games. And again, I'm just talking hypothetically here. I don't know that that'll happen. You know, obviously, you know, the safety argument is fine, but if, if those teams play in, there aren't really any issues with that, then does that affect the mood and the mindset of, of the NCHC fans, your North Dakota fans, your Minnesota Duluth fans, your Denver fans, your Omaha fans, etc., um, going into the going into the pod in here in Omaha. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, I guess I would relate that back to you know what happened with the NHL, and there were a lot of people who were upset with the fact that you know there weren't fans and you know, in the stands and then it was only in these two Canadian cities. And, you know, they'd say, well, look at the NBA. Well, look what the NFL is planning, you know, look at all these other leagues type of things. But then it's like, you get to the end of it and I'm sitting here going, there was only one professional sports league that managed to get everything in no reschedules and not a single positive COVID test. So while it may not have been the most opportune, the most amenable solution for, you know, fans and things like that. It's hard to argue with the result, which is they played good games. I mean, the, the games on TV I thought were amazing. The expanded format was, was really interesting. I was a little worried about teams tanking, you know, uh, especially when, when we knew that one of the teams that lost in the, the play-in rounds was going to have the first round pick New York. Uh, <laughs> they threw the game. <laughs> I, you know, I remember telling someone, I said, I'm telling you right now, the Rangers, it'll be the Rangers or the Blackhawks or the Penguins. Those are the three teams I could totally see tanking it just to have a shot at getting the number one pick. So, I don't know. Did they argue? Another podcast, not this one. But <laughs> well, and, and, and to, but it was successful. Yeah, to your you point. know, it, it, they they yeah. did what they did. They they quarantined everyone off. They they did the testing. You know, they had very strict rules about who was allowed in uh, to the arenas, and you know, they they modified their way of doing interviews. You know, they expanded it. I thought that was brilliant. You know, the more people had an opportunity to 
to log in from some of the small podcasts, things like what we do. Um, you know, there were small newspapers and web blogs and, and things like that that were able to access via, you know, Zoom or WebEx or whatever it is that they were using and ask questions of players and coaches and that stuff because you didn't have the media in the room like they used to. And, you know, right. I think that that could be a model to say, hey, you know, we're going to have these teams. We're going to put together a good uh, production so that fans can watch at home, but, you know, as closely feel like they're at the games as possible. Uh, and then, you know, open up that access point for, uh, for media outlets to ask questions of the players and things like that. And as season ticket holders for UNO, like how cool would it be if there was a, you know, season ticket holder Q&A event on Zoom, right? And we send out a Zoom link and you can, you know, maybe if you're lucky, have your, you know, be able to ask coach a question or, you know, one of the players, they'll have, you know, a handful of players or something there and you'd be sure. able to ask them questions via zoom and have them answer. And it's, you know, it's, it's something I know I've talked about this before and I know people are going to hate it. Cause I say like elitist kind of stuff, but I mean, as a season ticket holder, I really expect that there are things that I get to do by consistently supporting the team that the guy that just buys a single ticket to the event shouldn't get. And it's not just about a discount on on any one game. And that's not enough. Like, you really want to feel like you're part of that family. And my experience through everything that we've done is, is that the players really know that. They know that we're the ones that are day in, day out. No matter how good or how bad the team's doing, we're the ones that show up and cheer them and, and say, you guys can do it. We have faith in you. And they appreciate that. So it would just be nice, you know, in this bubble format, if you know that you can't, you know, physically connect to the fans because they're not in the stands, um, you know, to do something digital, to, to put in an effort to find a way to make this something special for the season ticket holders and the fans and the players. Right. It, it's exactly because it's one of those things that you'd like for people to rally around. And it's hard to rally around if all it is is just a webcast of 40 games in Omaha during that the month you have of December. to pay to see. Because right, it's on that you NCAA have to pay to see, exactly. It's not for free. Yeah. It's not like it's out there yeah. on NBC the way the NHL games were, where, you know. No, and, and maybe maybe they'll have some of the games on CBS Sports since that's their broadcast partner. But even like in Omaha, that's, that's not part of the typical pa cable package that people get through Cox Communications here. That's that's a that's a special tier that you have to pay for. So most people don't have it. So most probably you know wouldn't see them unless they're sports aficionados who have that. To me, the 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 big issue. I mean, it would be cool if if all of the NCAA conferences were doing this pod thing in December and then in January starting with the remainder of their conference season, since they've all basically said that they're going to play conference games this season it all or i think most of the most of them have played said that they're going to do that it, to me the amazing thing though is the ncaa and i think this is something that has affected college football this season the governing body for ncaa athlete for collegiate athletics has i don't know it's just amazing to me that an entity that kind of rides herd rides herd um, in compliance issues and things of that nature. They are the organizing body for the uh, NCAA championship events. It amazes me that they didn't have a unified strategy for a lot of these sports. Instead, they left it up to conferences. They left it up to individual teams. And so you've got all these little fiefdoms out there that are kind of doing their own thing. And we saw this in, in college football. We saw the Big Ten and the Pac-12, as we mentioned on last week's podcast, they started the season saying, we're not going to play football this season. And then other conferences like the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, they decided to play. And when those conferences decided to play, there was outcry. And in the Big 10 in particular, and, and Nebraska, our, our sister school down the road in, in Lincoln, uh, you know, decided to raise a fuss along with schools like Ohio State. And suddenly, you know... They decided to play, and this Saturday will be the first games that the uh, Big Ten plays this season in football. So 
I think that that to me is a difficult thing because unlike the NHL where there's one governing body that governs all of those teams, so it's all a unified strategy, here, like I said, you have these little fiefdoms kind of doing their own things as it regards scheduling, as it regards fans in the facilities, you know, as it regards the number of games they're going to play, because I think uh, a number of them have said that they're they're going to play games that kind of the, the number of games they're going to play this series varies by a game or two, you know, a couple games here or there. So I don't know. I, I can't remember. I think the Big Ten maybe said they were going to play 28 games this season. So, again, there's no uniformity to it. And I think to me, that's the thing that's really frustrating this season. Now, maybe, maybe the big 10 will come out and announce that they're going to do a pod here in the next couple of weeks. But, but that, that I think is the thing that is probably most surprising is that the NCAA has just kind of punted on this and left it up to the individual conferences, which I think can kind of create a sense of sort of chaos and unpredictability, you know? Yeah. I don't think that hodgepodge of who does what really helps anyone, but Right. But it's COVID, it's 2020, it's what we kind of deal with. And, you know, I think the guys, I know Gabnet said in one of his uh, comments to the media, you know, was, was something to the effect of, you know, we're just happy to have a date on the calendar, basically. And I think that a lot of the players are just saying, hey, at least I can, you know, at least I have a, a place to play and a chance to play and, you know, whatever it may be it is what it is and that's we're going to make it make it work so so john last week yeah. we talked about new players coming to the team and we had said that we were going to talk this week and i think that it's a proper segment to now that we have a date on the calendar to circle <laughs> uh that we talk about the returning players and kind of how the team as a whole is shaping up when we mix in these uh, incoming, you know, mostly freshmen, some not, and the existing players that we've seen, you know, the last season two or three. And um, I think the goaltenders are probably the easiest thing to start with just because they're all coming back and none of them are freshmen. Uh, I think it's a pretty <laughs> foregone conclusion who our number one is, so provided he's healthy. Yeah, I would say that it's going to be Isaiah Seville, backed up capably by Austin Roden again this season. I still like our our goaltending trio. I think it's one of the one of the better ones in the NCHC uh, as a unit. I think I you know, could and- make the argument that maybe there's a goaltender somewhere else that's that's better or more experienced or something like that. But you know, as a tandem, I think. It's a good group. You know, and you look at them, even though they didn't play an equal number of games, if you look at those two goaltenders last season statistically, they were actually relatively close. You know, Isaiah Seville had a 2.85 against goals against average. You know, Austin Roden had a 2.87 goals against average last season. Seville was 10, 11, and 4. Roden was 4, 6, and 1. So, both goaltenders were pretty consistent, and I think that that's a testament to the way that the guys played in front of both goaltenders last season. It's going to be interesting. One of the things that we didn't mention in our segment on you know, the bubble pod hockey this season is the fact that the teams in the NCHC are going to be split uh, geographically into an East division and a West division this season, and UNO is going to be in a division with North Dakota, and they are, they are our travel partner rival game every season but the uh the other two teams in our division with us are denver and colorado college so (laughs) we're gonna get to play north dakota and denver a lot of times this season and that'll definitely be a test of our team for sure and a test of our uh, goaltending this season there's no better year than to break the curse against denver right (laughs) we have plenty of opportunities to do it this year so to do that, I think when we're looking through these the the different players uh, playing positions and things like that, I think that it's important to kind of take a look and say, as fans, as um, I don't know, would you call us pundits? I don't know, whatever we are. I guess us, sure. As us, uh, what <laughs> what are the re- like? What's the keys to success? Right? 
if if we are going to beat Denver, if we are going to beat North Dakota, if we're going to finish at the top of the four in the West, uh, I look at it saying, I think the two things I think are, are key to our success from a goaltender standpoint is one, Isaiah not playing every night. I think, I just don't think it's good to rely too heavily on any one goaltender. I think you need to give them a break, especially in the format that they're talking and sure. the sledge that we're going to have to go through with playing Denver and North Dakota so many times, like you talked about. Um, I think it'd be important that Roden steps in and, and is successful, you know, behind Seville and that I don't say they split time in, in a 50, 50 standpoint, but you know, I'd be looking something more 60, 40, 70, 30 kind of range for Seville. Well, almost, almost more as a motivational type of thing, because the, the, Previous four seasons before last season, Evan Wenninger logged the overwhelming majority of the time in net for UNO because he he basically seemed like he was the you know, only option. And I think that that, while that was good to have a goaltender who played well and, and was a, a fairly consistent performer in net, some guy that we could depend on, the one thing that I would say, Jason, is the fact that... Um, you know, I didn't always feel like he was getting pushed by the other goaltenders on the roster. And I think that there's a, a certain motivational aspect that you're dealing with uh, as a coaching staff, that it's nice to be able to say, you know what, this guy isn't performing or he's in a little bit of a slump and we can put this other guy in and he can perform and, and let the, let the, what we consider our first string goaltender, um, you know, sit on the bench a little while and observe the games. And it, it might ultimately make, make his game better going forward. So I think that that's a good, I think that that's a good thing to have that option. So I think you're right. And again, not not to take anything away from Seville. I just, I just don't want to depend on one goaltender too much either, because if somebody gets injured or somebody goes down or somebody gets COVID this season, you just have, you know, you have no idea. And especially with goaltenders, the more you play them, the more likely it is that they get injured. It's just one of those positions that it's pretty rare that you can just you know, ride one goaltender all the way through. So the other thing that I look at is that goals against average. I think that they've got to be sub 250, preferably sub two and a quarter as a, as a tandem um, for us to be successful. I mean, I mean, anything, I mean, when you look at NHL goaltenders, you know, you want something in that two mark sub two mark. So if these guys are serious, you know, Isaiah is one of those draft picks, uh, uh, Vegas, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know why I just blinked. Like, am I, I wasn't sure of myself for a second there. Uh, but you know, if he's, you look at, by the way to the, yeah, to the people who aren't watching, Jason looks super tired as we're talking to each other on FaceTime. He looks like he's, I'm just like hoping he holds it in there. It's been a busy day for him, but yes, Vegas is who he played for. And you're absolutely right. When they're, when they're giving up about three goals a game, it's going to be tough to win games in this conference consistently. And obviously that, that, that stat was better than it had been the two previous season where they were, you know, there were in conference games. It seemed like they were, I believe they were given up at, at times like four or five goals a game. And you're not going to, you're not going to win by, you know, scoring seven goals night in night out, especially in this conference and, and year to year right. it's unpredictable, but there's some really talented teams in this conference. So they've got to be better defensively as a team. Yeah. So that's what we'll be looking at from the goaltenders. Let's talk defensemen. You know, the one that interests me the most is Jordan Clare and, yeah, I just question whether or not we're actually going to see him this season. Yeah, I I don't know that he's actually going to play, but uh, he is listed on the roster as coming back this season. So I don't know if he'll finally... He was, he was injured fairly significantly a couple of seasons ago, so I don't know if he'll actually end up getting to play. Uh, or we'll see him as a as a scratch most nights again this season. I just, I just don't know. UNO's got some really good up and coming defensemen on the roster. And I think that that's something that's going to potentially be a strength for them this season. They had a lot of young defensemen last season, but I look at some of these guys and I think that there's an opportunity to have some success along the blue line with the decor. Right. 
you look at you look at guys like Kirby Proctor, Brandon Scanlon. In particular, Brandon Scanlon was a really good offensive defenseman last season, and it, it's possible we'll see him on the top line this season. I'm uh, he's those are guys that are excited about, and we talked about some of the new the in, in the new guys coming in like Nolan Krenzen and Johnny Tyconic last week. So, you know, I think. I think we have an opportunity. I'd love to see Alex Waugh develop a little bit more this season. Uh, he's a big, tall player. He's got the size. He's got the wingspan that you like to see uh, in a defenseman. The type of the type of size and the type of wingspan that is generally attractive to professional hockey teams. Uh, he was inconsistent last last season. He uh, didn't always see a lot of playing time. But he's a guy that I know you were excited about before last season. And you had hoped would be a little bit better out of the gate, but I'm hoping he's developed a little bit over this off season now that he's got adjusted to college um, and the college game. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see again, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the team does in that regard this season. And I don't, uh, I don't know what you think, but there are other guys, uh, consistent players like Nate Konepke, John Schultz, Jason Smolich, who was another favorite of ours. So I think that entire decor I, I think, I think they're going to be better this season. Oh, horrible, horrible turnovers in our defensive zone. We talked about that time and again. They, they do. They'd make one mistake and it'd be a tie game late in the third. And you're just like one mistake. You make one mistake and now you pick to make the mistake. <laughs> and so well, one of the, we were that close yeah. on a lot of things. One of the things that having a consistent decor allows you to do is it allows you to be able to finish in games. And that's that's the one thing that I would say about UNO is that there were times last season when they had a tough time finishing. And there were a couple of games against Denver that we really thought that they could they could win. In particular, there was a game towards the end of the season at Baxter Arena that we thought that they could win. And it just did not happen. They weren't able to hold on. Uh, at the end of the game. And again, I can't remember if uh, there, there was an errant shot that was responsible for that or a, a turnover in the defensive zone or the neutral zone that happened with that. But that's what that's what I would say. And obviously that comes back to the point of consistency. But um, hopefully we'll see stronger kind of net out play from the Mavericks this season. Talk to a number of NHL friends and they seem to believe that the movement in college hockey as well as the pros is to this puck moving flow style, you know, I think of North Dakota teams of old, you know, that, that just seem to always have the puck and always move it. And you never really had a chance to breathe when, when those teams were on the ice and, and you were having to play against them. And, and that's where I, I like to see it. Like, I'd like to see some of these guys at Scanlon, um, uh, Krenzen, I think, would would make that fit a little bit too. Of that, you know, good first pass, uh, good skaters move the puck out. Because if we can transition a little bit better, I think that's going to give us some some more opportunities up front. And sometimes we got hemmed in a little bit, and, and that kind of hurt us. So, well, I think about some of those Michigan teams that we watched uh, here in Omaha when we were in the CCHA back in the late nineties and early two thousands and the way that those teams cycled the puck was a thing of beauty. They constantly kept the puck in motion and they were, they were hard to defend against in the offensive zone. And I think that's what I would like to see out of UNO to become uh, essentially a well-oiled machine this season. And I, again, it's a weird season with weird circumstances, but they have an opportunity uh, to do that. And I, I, I'll be interested to see where the coaches are, are planning to take them this season, but hopefully a little bit of experience will help them develop. I, I have confidence in the coaching staff that they're working that direction as far as uh, the systems that they've been working to implement. So our forward core, you know, we've got quite a few options. I think a lot of it depends on how the pairings end up panning out. Yeah, it, it depends on it. And we saw them last season trying to kind of, as much as they could, sort of spread the wealth and try to spur scoring on multiple lines. I think really one of the things that they're going to need to be consistently competitive this season uh, are three solid lines, three lines that can produce. 
because in recent seasons we just haven't had that when you get past the first line on our team uh, sometimes they're just not able to they're not able to go toe-to-toe with um, the opposing team so I think you look at a guy like Taylor Ward a guy who had 16 goals and 11 assists last season obviously he's He's kind of our premier returning player this season. But I like the looks of Kevin Conley and Tyler Weiss last season. Tyler Weiss really kind of came into his own during his sophomore season. And so I think I think that those returning veterans will be hopefully very exciting to watch. And again, I don't know that those three will end up on the line together. Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that I would say that I would put them on a line together. I know I wouldn't be opposed to it, but you know, like you said, there's, there's that finding that chemistry and finding that balance. I, I, there are recipes where every team's a a high power scoring, you know, but sometimes I think you need that. We need that shutdown line. Sometimes I think we just, we need that line that we can say, okay, we're putting them out against the other team's best line to make sure that they don't put anything on the board. And then we're just going to try to outrun, you know, the rest of their, their lineup up front. And, you know, there's, there's certain guys I don't worry about. Like you had mentioned Conley, Weiss and Ward, um, Chase, uh, Primo. There's another one that I would say isn't a guy that I worry about. Like I expect, he seems to have the work ethic that I, I expect him to be productive uh joey abate i think he showed he was a very exciting he was an exciting player in particular early on last season he was a good solid player um and like you mentioned with primo i think if i recall correctly primo suffered from some you know injury problems early on yeah but uh primo was a was a good solid player too I, and that's, I constantly say this, it's okay. He's a good, solid player. I think it'll be a good, solid line. I just say this stuff over and over again, Jason, and I have no idea why it sounds like I have nothing to say, but I do have stuff to say. <laughs> I think if you, if you can get, if you can get, like I said, three lines that produce and, and part of that will depend on how the newcomers that we talked about in last week's episode are able to mesh with this team and what they're able to bring to the table. We, you know, we just don't know at this point. Um, Nolan Sullivan was also a player that you and I found impressive down the stretch. Yeah, I really liked his his face offs, and he's definitely a, he seemed like a smart guy that that worked hard, at least from what we saw. And you know, hopefully, he keeps that up. Um, you know, I don't know. It's really hard to say because I look. I'm I'm looking at the list now, going. There's so many combinations that would be intriguing to put together yes. and see if they mesh. And I've always been um, those that those that may listen, maybe were coached by me or or have been you know around me when when we talk strategy and things like that. Like I'm always a chemistry guy. I will I will tweak things to find guys that work well together and it may not be you know the three best players on the same line because sometimes what you're looking for is the one guy that makes another guy you know better and i had said last season a lot like to me weiss and ward you know ward needs a guy to move him the puck um, I like it better. He's good at finding open space. I like it when he's skating without the puck, which means you need someone who can carry the puck and set that up. And, and I maybe really that look could for Weiss to be that. Yeah. And maybe that could be a guy like Brock Bremer. It could be. Yeah. It could be one of the, you know, one of these freshmen coming in. You, it might be interesting to put, you know, three of the freshmen together and say, it's your who's no line. Like I've seen teams do that. You put three rookies on a line because there's not enough film on them for another team to go, okay, this is how we're going to shut this group down. And if they have chemistry, go for it. Absolutely. We know he played with Nolan Sullivan in Muskegon. Brock mm-hmm. Bremer did. And so you never know what kind of interesting line combinations you'll see this and then other guys that we are kind of the unsung players that we don't talk about like travis cotenbeal um 
they may come into their own this season. Again, it goes back to what you were talking about, about chemistry. They might come into their own with some different players that they mesh better with than what we had on the roster last season. Or they may get in a role that's better suited to them. You know, We talked a little bit about um, some players in that Dean Blaze to Mike Gabnett transition era that I didn't think they really made huge strides as players or they were an entirely different player under Gabnett than they were under Blaze. But they were right. in a different role. They were in a different position. They had different responsibilities. And it highlighted their strengths. And that's right. what I would look at is, you know, maybe it's, you know, you're not having to rely on Cotton Butyl to be a top line guy and he's better fit to being, uh, you know, second line, you know, maybe a third line defensive forward or something. I don't know. I, you know, it. that's why coach gets the money. That's why coach is the coach, right? He's the one who right. sees these guys at practice day in, day out knows what's going on and you know he's in this position because he's shown in the past that he can figure this out and you know i'm i'm willing to trust him on where he he puts these guys it'll be interesting because right now as i count it three or four guys are going to sit every night and i'm looking yeah. at this going who is that like is it just the freshman is it some of the freshmen which of the freshmen is it none of the freshmen? And it's, you know, and we're sitting some of these guys that we're used to seeing in the past year or two. Well, you know, coach Gabinet has alluded in the past that one of the things that they were lacking were players on the roster that could push the upperclassmen. And he felt like the upperclassmen really needed to be pushed because sometimes they weren't performing up to his expectations. And so it's very possible that, you know, some of these players will uh, kind of serve as a spur in that regard. And I think that that would be really good for the team. I think it would be really, really good to see uh, players have a little bit more to fight for and not take it for granted that they're going to be in the lineup every night just because, you know, we don't have enough bodies to fill roster spots. You know what I'm saying? Right. There's some depth there, which will always help, especially with the teams that we have to play and. Whether we get to see them in person or on the TV, I'm excited to see them in action and and see what they can do. And I'm really intrigued just to see what Coach does as far as where he puts the um, the forwards together. I think you know we need we need a line, not not a player. We need a line that can average more than a point per game. Yeah. And, uh, and I would tell you, it, it, it still may be a struggle this season. We've got a lot of freshmen and sophomores, um, on the roster, you know, so it may be rough, you know, yeah. a team that has, you know, a couple seniors and that's it. So, so it could still be rough this season, but I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic and I, I'm, I'm kind of liking the way the team looks. And I also like the fact that, you know, our intrepid athletic department administration managed to finagle a situation in this bubble pod hockey that the nchc is playing where we get to play the first 10 games at baxter arena <laughs> it's uh i'll take that <laughs> i'm assuming i'm assuming they're 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 you know for the the sake of the record book and everything else they're going to be listed as neutral site games i'm going to call yeah. them neutral site games anyway yeah well and honestly without fans it's pretty neutral i mean I'm I'm sure that UNO will get to use its home locker room every night, and I don't know what they'll do with the other teams if anyone else will get to share that locker room with them or not. But uh, you know, we the limited advantages that we have, I think, will be will make it more level. I guess. I mean, I just don't you know, see how I, big of an advantage it will be without fans. No, especially when you're talking about a team in UNO that's that's struggled the the past several seasons you know uh we haven't always had the best record on at home in recent years so you know i think that i think what you said i think it'll be very fair and very even but uh i love that we have the opportunity to play the first 10 games at baxter arena so take advantage of it mavs yeah take advantage of it 
Wrap it up, John. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an interesting week as far as news. I'm sure that, you know, hours after we've recorded this podcast, there'll be more exciting news. And uh, if there is, Jason and I will be back to talk to you. <laughs> we'll see what's going on in the next few weeks. Obviously, we don't have hockey starting uh, for our, our program until December 1st. So there'll be a little bit of a lull, but there uh, there may be some exciting things to talk about. I'm sure we'll get more news and more details and we'll be back here to talk to you guys about that. So there'll probably be some more news about what other NCAA conferences and teams are going to be doing going forward. And that'll help us get a, a better idea of the bigger picture and may give us a, a better idea of a postseason, which uh, I think Mike Kemp alluded to uh, in the Tom Chattel column that if there was postseason, it wouldn't start until April when normally it starts uh, in March for NCAA hockey. So it'll be interesting to see. But until then, we appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Follow us on MavPuck.com where you can find all the back episodes of this podcast. Follow us at MavPuck on Twitter. Follow our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash page because my personal page is facebook.com forward slash mavpuck. So I took that for myself. Um, we've got a Facebook group. If you can find it, you can request to join it. And if you uh, follow directions and answer the questions that Bridget has put up there, she will probably let you in. But so, so many people don't answer those questions. And she won't let them in because one of the first rules of being in the private mavpuck.com Facebook group is that you have to be able to follow directions. So follow directions and join it and you can join the discussion too. We've had a lot of discussions about uh, the hockey pod that's going to be in place this season, whether fans are going to be allowed this season. All kinds of interesting stuff goes on and people share a lot of fun things. So I know Jason's part of that group and uh, his wife Jolene is and we have a good time. So until next time... Go Mavs. Go Mavs.